Welcome everyone, we're continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 63. This class has been dedicated Le'elui Nishmat Alis Zahava Bat Salha. Ruach Hashem, Tanihina Began Eden, Amen. Says Shalomo Amelech in Mishle. Tov Pat Hareva Veshalvaba Mibait Male Zibhariv. Shalomo Amelech, in his wisdom, that he show kind he so kindly shared with us. says that it's better to have dry bread veshalvaba while a person has peace mibayit from a house that's full of meat and delicacies but there is strife riv means fighting in other words, when a person is at peace, specifically peace of mind, because there's no greater war than the war that goes on in a person's mind. That's actually where all the physical wars begin. The wars between families, neighbors, countries, the source of the wars really is in the war of the mind. That we, inside of us, have struggles that we're not at ease. <coughs> That's the opposite of peace of mind. The word peace is shalom. Peace of mind means that the mind of a person can be at war, at war with himself, different thoughts, different issues that a person is thinking about. And shalva means a person is at peace. Says Shalomo HaMelech that even if you would eat stale bread your whole life, which doesn't seem to be a very enjoyable life, but he says even if that's all you have, if you only have stale bread, I'm assuming you're not going on vacation either. I'm assuming you're not driving anything nice. I'm assuming your home is going to be pretty simple. Even that, if you have peace of mind, you have a great life. And if the, on the other side, you have all the luxuries that the world has to offer, but it comes with confusion, and it comes with Riv, he calls it, which means fighting, all kinds of fighting. So it's not worth it. All the luxuries of the world aren't worth peace of mind. Alishu writes that the more we think and the more we work on ourselves as people, to make ourselves people of quality, 
He says we will realize, now probably we won't realize, but he realized because he's been in this for many, many years. Rav Boba was a great mashkiach. He spent most of his years teaching and guiding young men, thousands and thousands of them. He says the more we're into this, the more we realize that our main destination as people, he calls it as menuhah penimit, is the inner peace. It's not the goal of life, that's not what he means. It doesn't mean we're here to have peace. He's saying that the main destination that a person can live a great life, the main stage that a person has to build so they could succeed in whatever it is that they're doing is a state of menuha penimit, of inner peace. He says, Im niske eleha, if we will be able to reach that, zachinu lakol, we have merited everything, we have it all. The Hafez Hayim once had a man that came to him who had just purchased a lottery ticket and he came to the Hafez Hayim for a beracha that he should win the lottery. <laughs> he told the Hafez Hayim, bless me that I should win the lottery so I can have more time to learn. I'll be able to accomplish more in my life on the spiritual level. So the Hafez Hayim gently blessed him and he told him, May Hashem help you study Torah with peace of mind. So the man was disappointed that the Hafez Hayim didn't bless him to win the lottery ticket. So he thought maybe the Hafez Hayim didn't hear him. So he asked again, this time with a louder tone, and once again, the Hafez Hayim repeated the same Biracha. May Hashem help you to learn Torah with peace of mind. Clearly, that is the greatest Biracha we can give another person. That is why actually, when we refer to somebody and write their name in Hebrew, sometimes you'll see, if they write a name, they'll write, Yosef, and they'll put the letters Nun Yud. The words Nun Yud represent Nero Yair, which literally translated means his light should continue to light. Nero, his candle should light. Some explain, what does that mean, his, his, his Ner should light? They explain that he should have always the light of clarity in his mind. And he should have peace of mind. That's the blessing that we give people. The obvious solution to most people in this subject is modern technology. Let me explain why I say it's the obvious solution. When I have less to do, 
when my life becomes easier, obviously that's what technology does for people. It makes their life easier. So the more I have done for me by machines and anything around me, so the less I have to do, the less I have to worry about, and therefore I'm going to have peace of mind. So the truth is, modern technology has definitely helped us in so many ways and helped us to be able to accomplish so much more with our time because we have to spend less time doing things that in the past would take hours and days and we wouldn't have the time. We wouldn't have the time before Pesach to have a class like this. There's no way. There would be too much work. There would be too much preparation. But with the help of technology, things have gotten easier in so many ways. The laundry is much easier. Where people used to have to wash with their hands every piece of clothing. When there were no such thing as disposable diapers. That sounds very weird to the average person today. What does that mean? What do you mean no disposable diapers? So you just have to have a little imagination. That's what it means. That's what a mother would do. It means that there were no freezers or refrigerators, which means that everything has to be made now, fresh, real time. It means, it means, that a person would need to travel with his legs or his donkey for a very long time to get to places that are far. It means that a person would have to write letters and go to the post office to mail them and wait for weeks and months to get them. And much more that I'm sure everybody could write books about the differences of what used to be till today. Today we don't have all those things. Life is easier. We have hot water just by turning a knob. Everything is there for us. So to the average person a hundred years ago, if you would give them our life and our availability of what we have, they would say, oh my goodness, I would have such peace of mind. You mean, I wouldn't have to do the wash for four hours. I wouldn't have to sweat like that. I wouldn't have to cook for six hours. I wouldn't have to go traveling. I wouldn't have to go. What a dream life is going to be. I'm going to have so much peace of mind. Let me read for you something that was written in the American Journal in the year 1899. This journal, this article, was describing by one expert, describing the effects of the envisioned, at the time it was only a vision, of the motor car, the cars that we have today. So he's dreaming of cars, and he's writing about why and how 
why how cars will affect society. And here goes. The improvement in city conditions by the general adoption of the motor car can hardly be overestimated. Streets clean, dustless and odorless, with light rubber-tired vehicles moving swiftly and noiselessly over their smooth expanse, would eliminate a greater part of the nervousness and strain of modern metropolitan life. There it goes. Here's the Navi. This is a prophecy of someone in 1899 that with cars is going to come more relaxation, more cleanliness, and people are going to have Peace of mind. They're not going to be nervous anymore. It's going to be an unbelievable world. I don't think he imagined what we have today. Let's talk about just cars for a minute. First of all, people are nervous in their cars. Traffic was never a problem a hundred years ago. Your, grand -grand your great-grandfather and mine never had traffic issues. They never had to look for parking spots. <laughs> Cars are expensive. They're expensive to buy and they're expensive to maintain. Insurance is expensive, which of course brings more pressure on the average person. Cars emit pollution that can harm our health. There are many more accidents today than there were a hundred years ago where people are getting killed and injured because of the cars. Drunken drivers, that's something new in society. The disconnection from the local communities used to be that you were close with your neighbors. You had a personal relationship with them because you would walk and see them. You would sit outside and talk to them. You would shop in the same places as them. You actually had a connection to the market where you bought food from. But with cars, everybody's everywhere. The rise in obesity and other types of disease that have to do with people not moving and much more. Again, you, you and I could write much more than this. I'm not saying we should throw away cars. That's not what I'm trying to say. But if someone dreamt that cars and that unbelievable technology would make our lives more calm, we see clearly that is not the solution. I bring this not to talk about cars. I bring this that anyone who ever dreams that because you will have more in your life and your life will become easier physically because of technology or other things, and that becomes 
your solution to live a life of peace of mind, so you're going to make or you're making a mistake, just like this terrible mistake this expert made. I wouldn't blame him. I think I would have guessed just like him. But the reality is that peace of mind doesn't come with great technology. In fact, the other solutions like wealth, skills, degrees, possessions, homes, fame, power, prestige, all of these ideas, all of these goals that people have for themselves, I pretty much listed everything, all of them will not bring you peace of mind. Again, they're not bad things. None of these things are bad. But they're not the solution to peace of mind. So let's start again. Shalom HaMelech says, the greatest being that you could be in life is to live with peace of mind. Let's all agree to that. Not only because he said it, because I think anybody with a little bit of experience in life knows there's no greater gift than that. But now let's go get it. Okay, where is it? Technology, your life being easier, not the solution. More money is not the solution. More of anything I just mentioned is not the solution. There's a famous story about an ancient emperor who was about to sail for Italy. And an advisor asked him what his ultimate plans are. So he told him, my plans are to conquer Rome. So he says, dear emperor, so what will be after that? He says, I'm going to conquer Macedonia and Greece and other countries. And he asked him, after you've conquered all that, what are your plans? He says, then I will be able to spend my life in peace and comfort. (coughs) But the advisor asked, but what prevents you being in peace and comfort right now? This is a great story. You don't have to be an emperor to understand the story. We're all emperors. We're all trying to make more gains in life. Which again, sometimes that's necessary and important. But we should never make that mistake. That at the end of the tunnel, when we reach what we want, that we're going to find peace of mind. Because you're looking in the wrong tunnel. You may need to make parnasa, and you may need to acquire properties. But that's not where the tunnel of peace of mind is. There was a, um, I saw a story about a woman, a young lady, I have it written here somewhere. 
She was the daughter of one of the great rabbis of the last few hundred years. The rabbi's name is Rav Simcha Zissel, Allah Shalom. His daughter went to the physician and the doctor told her that an essential part of her cure was to remain calm and not become angry or excited. Since her father, the altar of Kelm, constantly stressed the importance of peace of mind, she happily went home to tell her father what the physician said, that this is going to help her in her situation. So her father commented and said, well, go back to the doctor and ask him that's very nice advice. He says, but please tell me, how do you get it? Where are they selling this? Which store is selling peace of mind so I can get it? The idea behind that comment is that we hear all the time people saying, of course, peace of mind, nothing like peace of mind, you should have peace of mind. It's one of the well-known, nothing I said today really was a very big hidush. It's well-known that peace of mind is the greatest gift that we can give a person. But what's very little known is how to get it. Yeah, you should keep calm. Yeah, how? You shouldn't be nervous. Don't, don't, don't be nervous. But what's the solution? You think I want to be nervous? You think I want to have worries? You think I want to have this situation in my, heart, my mind? Basically, what her father told her is that the physician wasted your time. Because if you don't give someone a solution to this issue, you're just wasting their time. In fact, you're making them more nervous. Because till now they were just nervous. Now they get nervous about being nervous. It's, it's a double nervous. Which talks to me as well. That if we're going to sit here and learn about peace of mind, it's really a waste to talk about the qualities and where it's not, where you can't find it. Where are you going to find it? Where is it? And I think that's one of our main challenges today is to try to figure out where we're going to find this most important state that we would all love to be in. So first of all, like already was hinted, this is not an external process. If anything external outside of you is your thought, so think again. This process is internal because the mind is here, it's inside. You have an internal issue, not an external issue. Never again should a person think that their lack of peace of mind has to do with anything outside of them. The solution lies inside the person, nowhere else. The Alishur says 
that reaching this peace of mind is not from the easy things to achieve in life. Not so simple. He's only someone who has worked and has clarity in how to reach that goal is going to be successful. One of the enemies of peace of mind is called in Hebrew de'aga. De'aga means to worry. Worrying is the emotional distress that one causes themselves by thinking about something distressful that might happen at some future moment. Many of us spend a lot of our time constantly scared and afraid of all kinds of issues that may come up in the short term, in the long term, health issues, financial issues, kavod issues, status issues, family issues, children issues. A person who worries is very often unable to sleep or at least a good night's sleep. A person who worries you could see on their face, it, it makes a physical impression on them when they are worried. They don't look the same. Their light that's supposed to shine on the human face is not there. It almost goes dark. Some say that the fear of misfortune is actually worse than the misfortune itself. What a tragedy. That means the things that we worry about, the worry about them is actually worse, the pain is actually worse than if, if, if they would happen right now. And I think it's a very correct statement and I think I could prove it that worrying about something actually makes it is more painful than the thing you're worrying about. So first of all, the Gemara says that people spend so much of their life worrying about things that will never happen. The Gemara says, you shouldn't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. We don't know what's, ha- what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow might come and it's not there. And you're going to be in pain about something that was never yours. That's an obvious reason not to worry. Because we worry about things that will never happen. But what about the things that will happen? Why then not to worry? So I have a very simple formula. We know that the creator of the world will never give me or you or anybody something they can't handle. If Hashem sent a challenge to a person, it's for them 
and it must be that they can handle it because he gives them the ability to handle it or he knows they have the ability to handle it. Hashem is not going to give you a problem that doesn't have a solution. Not always do we make the right choice and not always is the solution what we do, but the solution is there. So every time Hashem sends you an issue, He also gives you the power and the ability to deal with it. Or He knows that you have the power or ability. But what happens when you worry about an issue? So when you worry about something that's going to happen, so in your mind, you're already there. You're suffering the pain of the issue. The difference between you and the person who has the issue is that the person who has the issue, Hashem gave that person the ability to deal with it. So while they're dealing with the issue, they also have the muscle to handle it. But what happens when those who are worried about something, now they're suffering the pain, but they don't have the muscle. They don't have the ability to deal with that situation. Perhaps that's why God didn't give it to them or didn't give it to them yet. So it actually destroys the person more than the problem itself. The thoughts that we think in the present create our present feelings. Meaning, what we think in our mind right now is creating the feelings that we have. Good feelings or bad feelings are coming from our current thoughts. Not yesterday's thoughts, not tomorrow's thoughts. Right now. Whatever we're thinking in the current time is what's producing our current feelings. When a person has pleasant thoughts, joyful thoughts, so everything about them reacts accordingly. Their breathing changes. Their brain waves change. Their blood pressure changes. Their energy level changes. Their hormones change. Their heartbeat changes. Their immune system changes. Their muscle te tension changes. Their facial expression changes. Their tone and voice changes. Which means that the way we think is not only about the brain, it's the whole body is reacting. When it's good, everything is reacting beautifully. And God forbid when we worry, we're actually causing pain to our bodies. In fact, the Orchot Sadiqim writes, in Shara Daga, he says, that worry, he says, destroys the body. Holy Hagufi he calls it. A person destroys his physical body. In fact, doctors say that many sicknesses in the physical body, their origin is the person's mind. And in fact, many times when a person is not feeling well, the medicine doesn't work as well as it should because the person is worried. 
I saw that they had a clinical study in the Mayo Clinic that basically says that over 50% of hospital beds in this country could have been avoided if people were not worried. Worry brings people to get sick physically. So while the doctor is treating some part of their physical body, which of course he needs to, but if we don't take care of their mind, we're really not solving the issue. In every physical issue, we have to be concerned that there might be a mental issue behind it. People spend their entire life going from medicine to medicine, from vitamin to vitamin, to all types of solutions for the health, doctor to doctor. And again, I'm not negating any of that. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we must find a solution to make sure we have peace of mind. We will probably avoid so much that we go through if we just found that magic solution that is in the source of many of these issues. Of course, I don't want you to walk away from here thinking that worry is a bad thing. Because worrying is not always a bad thing. Nothing that Hashem created is bad. It all depends how we utilize it. Worrying means you're afraid. You're afraid of something. To be afraid of things actually is a big blessing. When you're afraid of something, it gives you energy, it gives you strength that you never knew that you had. For example, when a person is afraid that their children are not gonna have food on the table, they're gonna get up early in the morning and travel and work and get jobs to make sure they earn money so that they could eat and they could feed their children. When you're afraid that your children are not going to have the ability to live life normally, whether in a physical sense or in a financial sense or in a spiritual sense, you're gonna make sure you send them to school and make sure you're on top of them and make sure you get them an education. And even if you have to pay a lot of money for it, why am I doing that? because I'm worried about my kids. Why else would I spend 20 or $30,000 a year on a child? Because I'm worried. I don't want them to fail. I'm worried about <clears throat> my health. So I exercise, I eat better. That's a good thing. Those types of worries, are beautiful. A person is worried <clears throat> about his spiritual existence in this world, in the next world. That's a good worry. A person is worried about his marriage, that it should be a good marriage. That's a good worry. Go do something about it. I'm worried I'm going to raise my children and they're not going to be quality people. 
Great worry. You should worry about that. Worry that you're not giving enough of yourself to the people around you. Great. Beautiful. Worry that you're not respecting your parents the way you should. That's a good worry. Because all those worries make you better, stronger. When I worry that I'm going to fail my test tomorrow, I'm going to stay up all night studying. Usually I can't stay up all night studying. I'll fall asleep in three minutes. But if I'm afraid that I'm going to fail, I am going to stay up all night. The fear of failure. If you tell me right now to run for a mile straight without stopping, I tell you I can't do it. I'm going to have to stop. I can't. But if you tell me that my life depends on it, or my child's life depends on it, I'll run three miles. And all of a sudden you'll see a new me. I thought you can't run a mile without stopping. I usually can't. But when I worry, if I'm afraid of something, I could do it. We've all witnessed in ourselves and others some strong, powerful us that comes out when we're worried. That worry is a gift to mankind. It gives us the ability to raise ourselves. So which worry is good and which worry is no good? It's a very simple line. It's not always simple to keep, but it's a simple line. The line is that if you're worried about something that's in your hands, if it's something in your control, then it's a good thing. Because you'll take that worry, that energy, and you'll turn it into positive things that will elevate you and your life. But when you worry about things that are not in your hands, I'm worried what might happen tomorrow. God forbid, will I get sick tomorrow? It's not in your hands. To the level that it's in your hands, you should worry. Should you eat right to make sure you don't? Yes, worry about that. Should you exercise to make sure? Yes, worry about that. But beyond your effort of what you can do, if you worry about things that aren't in your control, if you worry, I have a wedding tomorrow, I hope the weather is going to be good. If it snows, it's going to be so terrible. If you worry about that, where is that energy going? What are you going to do about tomorrow's weather? What can you do about tomorrow's weather? What can you do about things that aren't in your hands? You're worried what people are going to say. How is that going to have any ability to help you, all that energy that's being produced? So all the energy that you get from worrying about things that aren't in your hands, you develop an energy, but it becomes negative energy because you can't do anything with it. So again, worrying about things that are in your control, that's a beautiful thing. It makes you stronger and you're able to act on it. But worrying about things that aren't in your hands, the worry just eats you because you have nothing to do about it. You know, it's like I said, it's, the line is easy, but the actual fulfillment is not so easy. Like for example... Should I worry that I have a business meeting tomorrow? Should I worry that it might not go well? So the answer is yes, you should worry. Worry and go prepare 
and make sure you have everything ready. You know what you're showing. You know what you're going to say. You do whatever you can in your preparation. That's a good worry. Well, where is the bad worry in that meeting? That same meeting. Well, I'm worried if they're going to buy from me. I'm worried if the deal is going to be acceptable to them. That is a no-no. That's way out of your reach. Your ability is to do the best you can. After that, it's not on your hands. So you have to make sure you cut the worry exactly in that line. I have to study very hard to make sure I pass this test tomorrow. I need to become a doctor. If I fail this test, it's not gonna happen. Should I worry? Yes, work hard. But should I worry I might not pass the test? No, because at some point after you worked hard, there's nothing that you could do. You may, you may not. It's like that in everything. Because the lines are blurred sometimes, so the worry sometimes goes into the other area, and that's where the problem is. Worrying is a good thing, as long as you're worried about what you can do. It actually makes you a healthier, stronger, more accomplished person. You wake up earlier because you're worried. You sleep later because you're worried. You work harder because you're worried. You become a better friend, a better husband, a better wife, a better mother, a better Jew. Because you're worried. It's a good thing to worry. But the minute you cross that line and you start worrying about things that aren't in your hand, you're going into a zone where all that energy that's supposed to be used by you is just eating at you. Because there's nothing that you could do about it. Of course, the answer to peace of mind are the words of Shlomo Amelech, or David Amelech, excuse me, in Tehillim. He said it in such simple words. He says, Hashlech al Adonai Yehavecha, which means. You should throw on Hashem your needs. Let him do his job. Let him work on the rain. Don't worry about the rain. That's not your job. You may have to pray, but more than that, there's nothing you could do. Let, let him take care of you. You throw it on him. Basically, saying what we're saying. The things, it doesn't mean you wake up in the morning and say, Hashem, I'm throwing it on you. I don't need to work. It's on you. That's not what he means. He means you do your best and the rest you leave up to him. In every area. Parnasah, Shidduchim, your children, the ability to have children, everything, everything in the world. It's all there. Do your best and the rest throw on him. The rest means the part that's not in your hand. The Magid Midubna gives a beautiful mashal on this pasuk. The Magid says that one time there was a man, he was traveling by walking with very heavy packages. And he was struggling to walk the streets with these heavy packages. And then a man passed with a carriage on wheels, with donkeys in the front, and he says he felt bad for him, guys, carrying these heavy packages. He says, please, come on, I'll take you. 
He says, sure, it's FBF, come on. He gets, he's so embarrassed, the guy's taking him on his carriage. He feels so bad, but it's easier than him walking the whole way. So he's standing there in the carriage and he's holding on to the bags with all his might. And the fellow looks at him and says, what are you doing? He says, what do you mean? He says, why are you holding on to your bags? Why don't you put them down? He says, you know, you were so kind to me that you were willing to carry me on this carriage. I should also give you my bags to carry. Sounds like a nice thing, but it's obviously silly. Because if he's carrying you, he's carrying your bags too. So put them down. What are you carrying them for? We'd be foolish to carry God's bags. To carry our bags, we must. When we start carrying his bags, we're in trouble. That's the solution. Ultimately, menuhata nefesh, peace of mind, is going to come when we learn how to differentiate between our bags and his bags. Again, I make it sound so easy. I know it's complicated, but I'm just telling you that is the ultimate solution. If we would find in ourselves the ability to live such a life, we're gonna make it big because we're gonna have peace of mind. And when you have peace of mind, you have to make it big. Because Nero Yair, because the light of your mind is going to light up everything in your life. It's going to light up your marriage and light up your children and light up your families and light up everything around you. No matter what you're involved in, you'll just be a light. Because the human mind is a tremendous light. Nero Yair. Nero means his light, his mind, which is a ner. But unfortunately for most people, nero, his light, never lights. Because the mind is at war. There's no room to light their lives. This is the solution. Now in order to live with such a solution, we have to fight a certain battle. It's the battle of Amalek. We know that Amalek is the arch enemy of the creator of the world and by extension, the Jewish people. Hashem says, Ki yad al Hashem says, my hand is on my throne. Milhama l'Hashem ba'Amalek midor dor. That there is a war that Hashem has with Amalek in every generation. Why is Hashem fighting wars? What's going on? What, what is the war with Amalek? Amalek, some bring, I mean, it's a fact that the gematria, the, the numerical value of the word Amalek is the same numerical value as the word Safek. The word Safek means doubt. Amalek represents doubt, which means if I live my life 
without doubt, then my life becomes a calm, happy, great life. But if I live with doubt, so it makes me suffer mentally and by extension, everything else. Hazal tell us, our rabbis tell us, En simha what a beautiful line. You're not going to have simha like the simha that comes with clarity of doubts. You had a doubt and now you're clear. Great simha. You live with clarity, no doubts, you have happiness. You live with doubts, you live with confusion. The milhama against Amalek, in essence then, is a milhama against doubts. When we have doubts on the future, what's going to be? Well, those doubts create unhappiness. If you have clarity about the future, now clarity about the future does not mean that you know what's going to happen. Because we're not prophets. And even prophets, I'm not sure if they knew everything going to happen but you have clarity that is a creator in this world who runs this world and you're his creation and you're his son and daughter and he is guiding you to the best possible situation you do your part and you have to let him when it says leave him the bags it doesn't mean leave him the bags and don't worry it means leave him the bags because there's nobody better to carry your bags than him. It's not to alleviate the weight from you. Because him carrying the bags is much better than you carrying the bags. Because he knows exactly how to carry your bags. And he knows exactly what's best for us. That's called living without a doubt. I don't have a doubt. My only worry is me. I worry about myself. <laughs> But beyond that, I give him the packages. And if I know he has those packages, I have no doubt. I'm very clear that everything is supposed to be exactly what's going to be best for me. Again, I have to make sure that it's best based on my actions. Because if I don't do the right things, then the best for me won't be the same way as if I did what's good for me. For example, I'll give you an example of that. Was it the best thing for Adam Harishon to have to start working, like the Pasuk says, after he sinned? Was it the best thing for him when Hashem told him, Bezeat From now on, Adam, from now on, you're not getting food ready. When Adam was first created, Hazal tell us, there was no need to work. There was no need to plant. There was no need for parnasa. Adam Arishon had everything he needed. He had Malachim serving him. Everything was ready. Just like the sun every morning comes out. We don't do anything. There's no hishtadlut for the sun to come out. People say, oh, how could that happen? Very simple. Every morning you see the sun. What do you do for the sun? Nothing. Hashem gave it to you. Hashem gave him everything. He gave him food. He gave him everything. 
So when Hashem told Adam and Hava, listen, you're going to have to work hard. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, Hashem only does good things. So what, then why is it a curse then? The answer is very simple. If Adam did the right thing before, then the best thing would have been that he doesn't have to work. That would have been the best based on his action. But now that he messed up and he lowered himself and the world with him, so now the next best thing would be that he needs to work for a simple reason. You see, Adam, before the sin, was completely pure and spiritual. On that level of spirituality, he was able to live a completely spiritual life, every second of his life. When he ate and he went down, he couldn't do that anymore. So what's going to happen now is, he's going to have a lot of free time on his hands that he couldn't accomplish. Imagine I would tell somebody who never opened a book in his life, you know, why don't you start learning all day? You know, learn as much as you can. Well, some people out there could learn 16 hours a day. But if you started, you can't learn 16 hours. Maybe you could learn 16 minutes. Maximum, you could learn an hour, hour and a half. So imagine I told you your new occupation is learning. That's it. But you know the guy could only learn an hour. So what are you doing to this guy? You're destroying his life. Because you're giving him 23 hours a day that he has nothing to do. He'll sleep seven or eight or nine hours. But what is he doing the rest of the day? And you know and I know that there's nothing more damaging to a person than free time. Free time destroys people. Everything bad that you can imagine, a lot of it happens from free time. So now Adam Arishon can't be the same guy as before. So the new blessing, the unfortunate blessing for this new Adam Rishon is that he has to work. That's the new Berachafim. That he can't be involved in spiritual activities all day. He's not capable of like he used to be. So is it a Beracha? Of course it is. It's the best thing for him. Could he have made this Beracha different? Yes. If he would have acted differently. That's our whole life. My life and your life is the same way. It is our ability to raise from our actions what that best thing is. But ultimately, only the best will happen. That's called living without a doubt. I have no doubt, as long as I'm doing what I need to do, that the best is going to happen. And even if I don't understand it, you know, when we know that something is supposed to be that way, even if that thing is not so easy, we can handle it. It's the doubt that makes us crazy. I'll give you an example. A person who's not sure if they need surgery. It's very painful. But if they know what surgery they need, I've seen and you've seen people that have been in pain and don't know why. And they go to doctor and this and that. You don't know why. 
It's very painful. But if the doctor says, you know, it actually happened this week with somebody. They've been for months and finally the doctor says, well, I think we found something. They were so happy they found something. They need surgery. Not an easy one either. But like there was a relief. Okay, now I know. Got it. When I know, it's much more comfortable than when I am in doubt. It is that way with everything. Let me give you maybe a non-conventional way that this applies. Now we spend a lot of money on certain things. For example, a person makes a wedding. They just know it's going to cost a lot of money. Whatever it is, no matter what level wedding you're making, it's going to cost you a lot of money. It's a lot of money for you. So, you know, and you just spend it. I'm not talking about a person who can't afford a dollar and their worries. Let's talk about you could afford it, but it's a big chunk of your life savings. And guess what? You spend the money, you pay whatever it is, and you're happy. Even though your bank account just shrunk. But if you would go to the cleaners and a $24 bill, you give the guy a $50 bill. He says you owe $24. You give him $50. And he gives you back instead of $26, he gives you back $6. You go out of your mind. You just spent who knows how many thousands of dollars or maybe more than thousands. And for $20, you lost it. You could be in a cab and you spent $30,000 on your trip. But if that guy took an extra turn around the corner, you're going crazy and you see that meter, another dollar, two dollars, you just, you just, you came in first class. You spent so much money. But for $2 extra, you went crazy. You know why? Because that's not supposed to happen. When it's supposed to happen, in my mind, a wedding is supposed to happen. So then, I'm okay with it. I'm supposed to Pay that kind of money in this situation. I'm okay. But once it's not supposed to happen, once it's not supposed to happen, or I don't, I'm in doubt if it's supposed to happen, it bothers me. It happens with people and relationships as well. I'll give you an example. Everybody knows the story of Haman, that the entire world, basically when they see this man, they bow down completely in front. They don't kiss his hand. They don't give him a salute. They bow down in front of him. What an honor. Every single person they see, bow down. Except for one person. One person won't bow down. Mordechai. And the Pasuk says that Haman, when he saw that, he says, He's all wired up. 
Because Mordechai is not bowing to him. He can't handle it. Why is Mordechai not bowing to me? So I have a question. There was another person that didn't bow to him. His name was Ahashverosh. He didn't bow to Haman. How come it never bothered him? How come it didn't affect him? How come when Haman and Mordechai are there, or Ahashverosh are there, Haman is fine. He's okay. Why? Answer is, because Haman is clear that Ahashverosh is not supposed to bow to him. When you're clear about that, it doesn't bother you. If you're clear, life is supposed to be this way. It doesn't bother you. Even if it's not to your liking. Or not to your best wishes. But if Mordechai in my mind is supposed to, or I think is supposed to, and he doesn't, it bothers me. It upsets me. That's why people get very upset when people that are supposed to be below them talk back to them or say comments that aren't so wonderful. They get very upset. But someone above them, someone who is very powerful, you see that in shul many times. You see that in businesses. You see that in homes. When a very powerful person speaks, then the people, they just take it. Okay, I just take it. It is what it is. But someone on my level said that? He's not supposed to talk to me like that. Or someone below me says that? It makes me crazy. Why? For the same reason. Someone above me, I expect them to talk this way. I expect them to be rough. And therefore, I handle it. But when something is not supposed to be, it bothers me. Could you imagine life always on that side? Imagine life would always be, that's the way it's supposed to be. No matter what it is, that's just the way it's supposed to be. Could you imagine everything in your life went into that section? Again, you got to do your best, but whatever happens is exactly what's supposed to be. Imagine living with that clarity. Oh, I wish that didn't happen. When you wish things didn't happen, that's a source of pain because you're in doubt. You're saying, oh, I wish it could have been different. If that didn't happen, then things would have been different and then imagine how life my, my life would be. Imagine I didn't sell that building. Imagine I didn't do that. Imagine I didn't go here. Imagine I stayed behind. Imagine I... We spend our whole life imagining what could have been. That's called living with Safek. That's called Amalek. You're living, what was Amalek's purpose? What was he trying to do? When we left Mitzrayim and we had this unbelievable connection to the Creator, we had tremendous emunah, we had tremendous emunah. What happens? Amalek came to fight that. Asher the word karecha means he met you, but also means mikre. Mikre means, he says, come on, there's nothing special about you or your creator. Things are just happening. They're just, they're happenstance. Things happen. There's no plan. There's no purpose. There's no guidance. It's just a mumbo jumbo world. What happened five minutes ago? 
could have easily not happened that way. It just happened that way. It's mikre. It's accidental. It's a roll of the dice. When you live your life with the roll of the dice, that's Amalek. Asher karecha baderech. He was fighting that emunah of clarity. That whatever happens in my life or happened in my Oh, I was born into this family. Imagine I wasn't. Imagine I was born into a different family. Imagine I had a different husband. Imagine I had a normal son. Imagine I had a normal mother. Imagine I had a normal teacher, a normal rabbi, a normal... There's no end. There's no end to what if questions. But those questions, whether they're in the past, about imagine, or in the future, what's going to be? All those doubts, and even when things happen, oh, I wish, I wish something else could have happened. I wish I was in a different place right now. All those doubts, whether they're in the past, future, or in the present, are Amalek. With Amalek in our minds, there is no way to get peace of mind. Hashlech al Hashem Yehavecha, which means let him carry his packages, not your packages. His packages, you let him carry it. And if you know well that he's carrying it, you should also know that it's going to be exactly the way it's supposed to be. The best way. Doesn't mean you know what the best way is. It just means you know it's the best. And you just keep doing what you need to do. That's called living life with clarity. That's called Nero Yair. You have a tremendous clarity of life. Which brings a tremendous Simha. You know, we do this all the time. Let's give you another example. Sometimes we feel a tremendous pain when a person passes away. And we should. That's part of, that's one of the ways that we are mit abel. That we mourn a loss of a person. But somehow when a person, let's say, dies at 50, it's a, it's a tragedy. If they were at 100, it's an okay. You know, it's, not, it's not a tragedy. I mean, we cry a little. But we don't say that's it. Can't believe it's horrible. Hundred years old dying. Can't believe it. You know, that's all relative. All of that, those feelings are relative. Because who decided how many years a person should live? You know, in the times of Adam Arishon, people used to live nine hundred years, nine hundred fifty years. Could you imagine someone lived eight hundred years and say, "What a tragedy"? He was taken before his time. He only lived 800 years. That's what they would say in those times. Say, I can't believe a young man, 800 years old, and now he passed away. Because, because in your mind, it's supposed to be this way. So now, oh, what happened? That's what we do in everything. Destroying Amalek means realizing that Hashem is with you and there's nothing to fear. <coughs> Only fear, like I said, your job. That's it. That's what David Amalek says. 
גם כי אלך בגץ על מוות, even if I find myself in the shadows of death, לא אירה רע, I'm never afraid of bed, I'm not afraid of bed, why? כי אתה עימדי, you're with me, you're carrying your stuff, I'm doing my stuff, I'm not afraid of bed, there's no bed, you're going to handle it, you're going to take care of it, <coughs> clarity. But as you all know, I probably didn't say much new things to you today, even though we're just going over through things, and sometimes just getting it in order make, you know, helps. So basically, let's see, what, we, what did we learn today? We learned that peace of mind is the greatest gift that we can give someone, or the greatest gift that we can have. We learned that the enemy of peace of mind is worry. We learned that in order not to worry, you have to leave Hashem's boxes to Him, and you carry your boxes. You need to have both. If you don't worry at all, then you're going to get in trouble. And if you worry about yours and not His, you're doing perfect. So beautiful. There you go. Simple. We just gave the solution. So when the daughter of the Alter McKellen asked, go back to the doctor. Ask him, so how do you do it? Where do you find it? We would say, we got the solution. But I would like to tell you, and I think you will agree with me, that it's not a full solution. And I'll tell you why. Of course, it is the solution. But it's not necessarily a solution that we're able to acquire. Because having such a mindset is not easy. How do you do that? I wish I could do that. I wish I would just give Hashem everything and I'll take mine and everything will be good. I wish that I'm going to walk out of here and acquire this and I'll have such an awesome life. But how do you actually do that? I mean, we keep asking, how do you do it? But there's always a how do you do it? Now we know what the goal is. We need to be that kind of person. But how do you become that kind of person? So I'm going to tell you one piece of advice today. The Aleshur says, Rav Walva says, that the gift of Shabbat is the gift of peace of mind. Now I'd like to study with you for a few minutes what he means by that. We know that Hazal tell us that when Hashem gave us the Shabbat, He says, I want to give you a gift. The whole Torah is a gift. But something about Shabbat that Hashem said, for this one, I want to give you a gift. I have a precious gift. I want to give it to you. It's called Shabbat. So that means, besides the whole Torah, there's something special about the Shabbat. That we don't find in the rest of the Torah. Or maybe not as much. So says the Aleshur, the gift of Shabbat is the gift of peace of mind. Which means that a person who observes the Shabbat properly will have a taste of peace of mind. But I'd like to elaborate a little more. 
if I saw that line, I would think, oh, okay, so Shabbat is one day a week where you can have peace of mind. But it's a lot deeper than that. The rest that we have on Shabbat is not merely rest from work on that day alone. Rather, it's the ability to give us peace of mind all the days of the week. How does Shabbat give you peace of mind for the entire week? What does that mean? So the Midrash says that on Shabbat, one of the requirements is, that's why I say keeping Shabbat properly, that's a big Properly is an important line, which I'll get to after. But bottom line on Shabbat says the Midrash that we're required to view all the work that we have to do as if it's already completed. Which means six days work was done. The Midrash says your work is done. What do you mean it's done? You know how much paperwork I have? I have to ship merchandise. I have to talk to the factories. I have to talk to the bank. I have meetings. My work's not done. No, no. When Shabbat comes, says the Midrash, our job is that my work is done. There's nothing left for me to do. It's over. That is the mindset of Shabbat. Once a person has mastered this attitude, that when Shabbat comes, Everything in your life stops. There's nothing hanging. There's nothing that you're thinking about. It's over. What happens is, it starts to become your mindset. You'll become used to feeling the same way. That in your life, you do what you have to do just like Shabbat, you prepared for Shabbat. You didn't just walk into Shabbat. You prepared for Shabbat and then, you, and then you're over. It's over. It is that way in our lives. You prepare for whatever it is you need to be doing in life. And the rest is called Shabbat. Hashem's boxes are Shabbat. They have nothing to do with you. But wait, I have a customer waiting. But I have a show that I paid for. But wait, I can do this. But wait, I need the lights to turn on. But wait, I forgot to cook this. I forgot to heat that. But wait, I forgot to go. It's not your package. Your package is over. The work that we don't do on Shabbat represents Hashem's packages. Oh, I would love to get in a car right now instead of walking three miles. It's exhausting. I would love to do that. It's not your, that's not your package. Hashem, put that down. You're not doing that. I would love to go here. I would love to do that. Hashem says, you do the work before. Come to Shabbat. It's over. You're done. The melacha. Melacha doesn't mean work, by the way. It means accomplishment. 
people think they know how to work on Shabbat. It's one of the biggest misconceptions and mistakes in Judaism. That Shabbat is a day of rest from work. It's not true. Hashem didn't work. It says six days. He worked. He didn't work. Hashem sweats on Shabbat during the six days. What Hashem was doing was creating. He did melacha. He was creating. Hashem says six days you can create. Seventh day you stop creating. Therefore, it doesn't make a difference if you're putting on a light. It's not about the strenuous act. So, well, what did I do? I didn't work. I didn't sweat. It's not about that. It's about creating. Putting on a light is called creating. Electricity is creating. It's not about being easy or difficult. Theoretically, if you want to carry a table around the room for 24 hours on Shabbat, you're Shomer Shabbat. I wouldn't recommend it, but you're Shomer Shabbat. Because you didn't create anything. The melachot of Shabbat is you know how to create. Which means, on the seventh day, Hashem is the creator. You stop creating. You let Him create. You let Him do His job. And don't worry about what you can't do. He's got it. He's taking care of it. As long as you did what you're supposed to do before Shabbat. If you don't do what you're supposed to do before Shabbat, you're going to walk into Shabbat and you're going to leave it on His... His what you didn't do anything. What you can't eat now. You can't eat. You can't drink. You can't... What are you doing? But if you did Nishet Tarach Be'erev Shabbat, but if you worked and did your job Be'erev Shabbat, you come into Shabbat, beautiful. He handles the rest. You stop creating. There's a creator to this world. Imagine we live with that mindset every Shabbat, but real. We kept Shabbat kehil chato. We catch Shabbat, like the Pasuk says, Shabbat is Kodesh Lashem. What's Kodesh Lashem? Says Rashi, to keep Shabbat Lashem Hashem. You keep Hashem Shabbat and the mitzvot of Shabbat. Unfortunately, for many people, Shabbat is a day of rest. Which means that we don't work on Shabbat. We close our store on Shabbat. We don't drive on Shabbat. And we're satisfied with such a day. Unfortunately for many people, Shabbat is like a Sunday, just with a few restrictions. But it's a mistake. Shabbat has a formula. If you don't tap into the formula of Shabbat, you don't get not only Shabbat, but you don't get the whole week. This throwing your box to Hashem... Shabbat was given as a gift to be able to do that. Because in reality, that's what we do on Shabbat. We don't worry about the stock market on Shabbat. We don't talk about the stock market. You know, on Shabbat, you can't even talk about things like that. We don't talk about our businesses. We don't say, oh, what's going to happen to the, to, the, to the world's economy? We don't, we don't talk about those things. Why not? What are you doing? What you're doing is you're getting involved in God's business. Stay out of it. Shabbat, it's His world. Let Him deal with it. So if you kept Shabbat Kehil Chata, you didn't do any melacha, you didn't create, you let him create. You didn't talk the words that you're not supposed to talk. 
You didn't think about things you're not supposed to think about. And you came into this zone called Shabbat. The zone of Shabbat is whose zone? It's Kodesh Lashem. It's His zone. You're in His arms. You're in His palm. You basically say, hey Hashem, I'm done for the week. I'm in your hands. That's why it's called the gift of peace of mind. Not that Shabbat you have peace of mind. It trains you to have peace of mind the whole week. But you got to practice it correctly. That's why it says in Masechet Shabbat that if Am Yisrael would keep two Shabbats, just two Shabbats, Mashiach would come. So the obvious question is why two Shabbats? Why two? Why not one? What's wrong with one? And if it's two, maybe three. Why, why two? What is two? So some explain beautifully that keeping one Shabbat doesn't show who you are until I see how that Shabbat made your whole week different. I want to see the seven days after your Shabbat. Because if your Shabbat didn't affect the next seven days, then you didn't keep Shabbat. Your Shabbat needs to be such a powerful island that the rest of the week is a different week. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Shabbat, that whole week is a different week because of the Shabbat that was spent. That needs a real Shabbat. A Shabbat Lashem. Just to be reminded of this idea, I thought... And I see it's very intriguing, and I think you'll feel the same. When I looked at the minha of Shabbat, we say it's filah ata ehad leshimcha ehad. It's the only one we say during Shabbat, during minha. Basically, we're in the twilight, we're ending Shabbat. And we say, Hashem, you're one, your name is one, and who's like Amcha Yisrael? Listen to these words. You have to listen to these words. When you read them, maybe I prepared you a little bit so you're not shocked, but try to imagine reading these words to see what in the world do they mean. Ready? Here we go. We are basically thanking Hashem for giving us this day of Shabbat. Now that we had Friday night, Shabbat morning, we're already towards the end of the day. So now we're saying this beautiful tefillah, thanking Hashem for this beautiful day called Shabbat. Listen to the way we refer to Shabbat. Menuhat ahava undava. It's a menuha, a rest of love and a rest of giving. Do you have a rest of love? How do you have a rest of love? What does that mean? Menuhat ahava. It's a rest of ahava. It's a rest of nedava. It's a rest where I became a giver. Menuhat emet. Hmm? You ever hear of menuhat sheker? What does that mean? A rest of truth. What exactly is the truth? The rest of falsehood. What does that mean? Menuhat emet. Ve'emunah. It's a menuha of emuna. Menuhat shalom. It's a rest of peace. The shalva, peace of mind. 
והשקט בבית. מנוחה שלמה שאתה רוצה בה. It's a מנוחה, a complete מנוחה that you want. יכירו בניך וידעו. Before I say that, what, what do we just say? What does that mean? Till today I thought resting was putting your head down and taking a nap. So what is rest? Rest is either you're sleeping or you're relaxing. It's basically not doing any kind of work. When would I be able to say, oh, that was, wow, did you take a nap today? Oh, yeah, that was menuhat emunah. What? You had a rest of emunah? Yes, that was menuhat shalva. Uh, what, a, what a rest of peace of mind that was. What are we saying? What we're saying is that Shabbat Lashem, the true Shabbat, with all of its intricacies, a person should not fool themselves, says the Hafez Hayim in his Hagdama, Tehilchot Shabbat, should not fool themselves that they really keep the Shabbat properly if they don't learn Hilchot Shabbat. Because Hilchot Shabbat, you know, out of six books of Shohan Aruch or Hayim, two of them are on Shabbat. Two out of six books are on Shabbat. It basically goes through a person's life. But two out of six are Shabbat. You know how many intricate details there are on Shabbat? You know, a person who never learned Hilchot Shabbat thinks, like, what, what could Shabbat be? What, what do I mean? I don't drive. I don't work. Okay, I don't cook either. I don't turn on lights. I'm good. I have no idea. The more you learn, the more you realize, oh, I didn't even know what Shabbat was. There's so many details about Shabbat. What a person is not supposed to do. What a person is supposed to do. The way a person dresses on Shabbat. The way a person acts on Shabbat. The way a person talks on Shabbat. The way a person thinks on Shabbat. Everything about the Shabbat has rules and regulations. Shabbat is a beautiful day. But it's not a beautiful day until it's Kodesh Lashem. It has to be the formula is the formula he set up. Not my formula and not your formula. That formula produces menuhat ahava. Tremendous. Look at that. That formula, it's a menuha that produces love between people. It's a menuha that produces nedava. It makes you a greater giver. Some of them I understand, and some of them I really don't understand. But I, I rely on him. Menuhat emet ve'emuna. That I understand. You know, menuhat emet means. Emunah we understand, right? We just learned for the last few minutes why Shabbat gives you emunah. Because Shabbat, in essence, is telling you just stop everything in your life. It doesn't matter what's going on. Leave it up to Him. That's a great training in emunah for 25 hours. But where is emet? Where is menuhat emet? Where is that? I'm going to tell you where. You know, imagine in life, you lived your life. Listen to this. It's not the way that... Um, the average American lives. But imagine in our lives we lived where we always strived to do what's right. Our goal isn't things or possessions or our goal in life is to be emet, 
to live a life of emet. You know, a person is always lying. He always has to catch himself. What did I say? I have to remember. I'm worried. I make sure I have the right words. I'm going to come to the meeting. And I have to... But if you live emet, you don't have to worry. You just say the emet. If a person's mindset always is to do what's right in that situation that they're in, they have a great life. If their goals is success, I got to get this, I got to get that. So then it's a different kind of life. On Shabbat, you learn to be emet. You know why? Because before you do something, you say, oh, what's the right thing to do? It doesn't matter that I want this, but what's the right thing to do? And all of a sudden, you're thinking about all the right things. You're thinking about emet. What's the right thing to do in this situation? Forget what I want. Forget what needs to be done to get to the success. What's the right thing to do? Menuhat emet. You become a person of emet. A person of emunah. Menuhat shalom. What a beauty. Shabbat brings shalom into your life. It brings shalva into your life. Look what Shabbat has done for our community alone. And I'm sure I speak for many communities. You know, if years back in this country, there was a gathering of conservative rabbis, their rabbinical council, and they were discussing the Shabbat. Should we allow people to drive on Shabbat? That was the question. So they came out with a psak that even though driving on Shabbat is considered forbidden, they agreed to that. But in light of the fact that going to shul on Shabbat is such a big mitzvah, so therefore, in order to keep Judaism and the Jew connected, we have no choice but to tell them to drive on Shabbat. This was the psak. There was a question, what about Friday night dinner? That might also be a very important mitzvah. Interesting, interesting psak they gave. Now, the problem with that psak, by the way, it's very logical. Makes sense. Imagine living in 1940, 15 America, where everybody's all over the place. Highways, big cities, Jews dispersed all over. People not keeping Shabbat. Judaism is nowhere to be found. Who could blame them for such a psa? There's only one thing wrong with that psa. Only one thing wrong. And that is, it's not our Shabbat. If it was my Shabbat, so of course I would do that. It's not my Shabbat. It's Kodesh Lashem. It's Hashem Shabbat. He gave it to you as a matana. Don't tamper with it. It's his Shabbat. Just look to see what he wants. That's the only problem. But look 50, 60, 70 years later. Look at what happened. You know what has kept our community together? More than anything else. What has kept us close to each other? Close in proximity and therefore close in relationship. Kept our children close. What is it? One thing that we have to be within walking distance of the Beth Knesset. Because if we could drive, why do I have to live here for? I could just be 20 minutes away. It doesn't matter. Imagine where our community would be if you could just drive to shul on Shabbat. 
they would no be there would be no community. We would not be next to each other. We would not be close to each other. We wouldn't live with neighbors. It would be a whole different world. This is one example that we see. Of course, there's so many. That's called menuhat ahava, menuhat shalom, menuhat shalva. That's what Shabbat's all about. Shabbat is a training ground for hashlech al Hashem yehavecha. Give him the packages. Don't worry about his work. Hashem gave us once every week, every seven days, we practice to give him his job. He takes extra jobs on Shabbat. Usually he only carries a couple of bags for us. On Shabbat he says, I want to carry all your bags. I'll give you a few things to do. The rest, all I want you to do is, I want you to eat. I want you to sleep. I want you to be with your family. I want you to be with your children. I want you to be in the Beth Knesset. I want you to learn. I want you to just elevate yourself. Don't get involved. Dress nicely. Shabbat is a way to dress, not just to go to shul. It's a way to dress the whole Shabbat. The honor of Shabbat is called Kvot Shabbat. You're honoring Shabbat. A way to, there's a way to walk on Shabbat. There is a right way to walk and a wrong way to walk on Shabbat. There's a way to, to again, to dress, a way to talk, everything. Hashem says, those things are for you. Everything else, not your business today. Leave it, I'm going to carry it for you. I'm going to carry a little extra for you today. And then all of a sudden, one Shabbat, two Shabbats, three Shabbats, four Shabbats, and our whole life is different. Who could have imagined that Shmirat Shabbat Kehil Chata would be the solution to a worry-free life? I don't know if it solves everything. I'm not big enough to say that but it solves a lot. And it's a great way to begin. It's a great way to begin. Anybody who you know, anybody here, that has to deal with such a difficult life of worry and all that, that's the first thing you give them, is you take on that Shabbat and you keep it from beginning to end and you keep it perfectly. Don't make any kind of heshbonot like the conservative bedding. Don't make your heshbonot. Don't say, oh, I'll be better off. If. Don't do that. Just do it right. Let him worry about the consequences. That's his job. You do what you have to do. And you will see the gift of Shabbat not only light up your Shabbat, but will light up your mind and light up your life. That is the first piece of advice that I have for you when it comes to a worry-free life. I'll just end off with a beautiful story. It's a story of our people. You know, when we got the Torah, Hashem said, first, let me see your commitment. What's in it? We didn't ask. He wasn't going to tell us. I want you to commit to me. Just the other day I was talking to someone who needs to get married. I said, what's the story with you? He said, young man, 
Nah, I don't know, this one, not that one, not this one. He's been giving me the same answer for like three years. I said, let me tell you something. Do you want to get married? I said, say right now to me, Na'aseh v'nishma. He says, what does that mean? I said, just said, Na'aseh, say that I'm going to do whatever Rabbi Yadid says. He said, how can I do that? I said, listen, you trust me? He said, I think. I said, okay. I said, you know what? When you're ready, come back and say, Na'aseh v'nishma, and then I'm going to help you. And I'm only going to try to do what's best for you. He said, why don't you help me first? And then I'll say Nasevinishma. I said, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. I said, if it was like, if it was you, we would never have gotten the Torah and Har Sinai. We, we can't do this. You need to commit. Just commit that you're going to listen. And then I'm going to help you find the best girl for you. But you need to listen. That was the way Hashem gave us the Torah. He didn't say, well, look at it. See if you like it. It didn't work like that. Nasevinishma. One of the exceptions is Shabbat. Hashem gave us Shabbat, the mitzvah of Shabbat, before Matan Torah. Very strange. How come Shabbat was given before Naaseh and Ishma? This is a beautiful story, a mashal, that was given about a man who was a brilliant, brilliant pharmacist. And he found the remedy for any disease, any pain, any issue somebody has. You give him the pill, and he is perfect. Guys, it's over. He made, he made it big. He opens this beautiful store. He puts out in the front a big sign. Refu'ah, for everything that you ever needed. He's waiting for the customers to come in. He has a price at a high price. A day goes by, nobody walks in. A week, nobody walks in. Two weeks, not one customer walks in. He can't believe it. He sees one of the people in the city. He says, what's going on here? I have this store. I have this remedy. Nobody walks in. I told him, listen, you have a great product, but you're in the wrong location. He says, here, there aren't any sick people. So you're selling refu'ah, but nobody's sick. So who's going to buy from you? He says, I recommend you go to the city far away. Go there. Take your goods there. You'll make it big. they got plenty of sick people there. Okay, good idea. He travels. He goes to that city. He sees the guys, not just, they're really sick people there. He sees all kinds of sick people in the street. He says, great. He's very excited. Not not because they're sick, but he's excited for, to make money, to heal them. He opens a beautiful store. He puts up a sign, refu'ah, anything that you're bothered with. Right away, you get better. He opens a store. One day goes by, nobody walks in. Another week goes by. No, two weeks, nobody walks in. He's going Majdun, he can't understand what happened. He turns to a guy in the street. He says, what's going on in the city? Why is no one walking to my store? Look what I have. He says, oh, he says, he says you're in the wrong city. He says, he says, over here, we have a lot of sick people. But they never heard of medicine. They don't know anything, they don't know what medicine means. They never heard, they thought in this city, they think that when something happens to you physically, you just have to wait it out. It is what it is. There's no such concept as medicine. They know what you're talking about. Medicine. What is he saying? He says, what should I do? He says, I recommend. The first guy that comes in, go outside. You see a guy who looks like really a mess. He says, tell him, can I give you this? He says, no, 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 I don't need it. This is free. Take it for free. Just take it. 
See how it is. One guy, two guys, three guys. All of a sudden people see what that medicine does. And then all the customers will start to come in. And that's what he did. That's what Hashem did to Ami Sarah. Has this beautiful Torah sitting in Shemaim. In Shemaim, there are no sick people. In Shemaim, they're all angels. They don't need a Torah. So he brings the Torah down here to all of us. We need it. We need it badly. Today, in this world, more than any time in history, probably. We need it. We need that Torah. Now, he knows we need it. But he's afraid when he offers it to us. We're just not going to... We just came out of Egypt in the lowest point of Tum'ah. We might just say, nah, what do we need it for? It's like an alcoholic say, you need help? Nah, I don't need help. I'm good. I mean, you're good. You're, you're a mess. They might just say no. Hashem says, let me give them one taste. Let me give them a taste test of something that they, when they taste it, they'll understand this beautiful gift that I'm going to give them. So out of all the mitzvot that Hashem gave, what did He give them? Shabbat. Shabbat is the taste test of the entire Torah. He gave it to them. With that, they understood. When Hashem asked them, they understood what the right thing to say is. And that's not just a one-time historical event. That's for all of us. Any Jew, for example, that's off the derech, or what's the first thing you should help them with? Shabbat. Keep Shabbat. Shabbat will change your life. Shabbat will put you in a whole new mindset, a whole new world. A world of emet, a world of emunah, a world of ahava, a world of nedava, a world of beauty, shalom v'shalva. This is one of the greatest secrets that Hashem gave our people, even before Matan Torah. Be'ezrat Hashem, we keep Shabbat ke'el chata and live a life of Shabbat. Seven days a week. Baruch Allah, Amen, Amen.